Welcome to the Workshop Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and joining me today is one of the OGs of the uh, YouTube maker community, Mr. Bob of I Like to Make Stuff. Um, thank you for coming on, Bob. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and uh, talk about some of the things that uh, we're going to talk about. But yeah. Kind of to start out, are you you doing anything exciting right at the moment that we can share and not as a secret? Uh, I kind of keep everything a secret until it comes out. Um, I'm working on a bunch. Don't of worry, nobody things, listens actually. here anyway. So, okay. so anything oh, you okay. share here is essentially a secret. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm working on several things at the same time right now, which is a little bit weird. Um, I don't really enjoy doing you know overlapping a bunch of projects, but that's just the way it worked out. But biggest thing is uh, kind of renovating my basement outside of my office and workshop, the rest of it, trying to renovate it for the kids. And so we're trying to give them a place to, they're getting older, they need to be able to hang out with their friends and not annoy us and, you know, the rest of the house. So we're trying to give them a little area to play ping pong and hang out and stuff. Well, it's, it's good that you've already renovated. You've renovated most of your house already at this point, haven't you? Like, <laughs> Yes, I have. I'm running out of rooms to do. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing because now you'll get this done and then you'll move on back to the beginning again because it'll all be worn out and you'll have to replace it, right? That's Yeah, that's true. The styles will be, you know, cycle through all the way and I'll have to yeah go back into it. That's the, uh, I've renovated a few houses now and I talk to people about that a lot. And one of the uh, one of the things that you find out about renovation is this: you either you either don't renovate anything at all, or you plan on renovating absolutely everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can't do half the house. No, that's uh, the one one time I renovated this house, and and all I was going to do, we were going to be there for like six months, right? Is all we were going to be there. And so all I wanted to do is I wanted to switch some of the light plate covers because they were ugly and old and broken. And the first one that I pulled off, the the switch fell apart in my hand. <laughs> and and I look inside the box and there's literally bare wires running up through the inside of the box into the wall. Like oh. they'd, they'd shorted out and they'd burnt up inside the wall. And so I ended up pulling apart that wall and they were burnt probably that far above the box, like wow. two, three inches. And uh, needless to say, I then had to repair that wall. And then because I did that, I started digging around in other areas and replaced some of the other switches. And And then I noticed a window was leaking. And so I'm like, okay, I can replace a window, couple hours job tops, pull the window out and uh, take my pocket knife out because I'm looking at the jack stud beside the window. I'm like that looks a little rotted and I could stick my four inch fixed blade knife into the wall without oh. any resistance. And so I pulled my knife out and I could push my hand through into the next oh stud. Gosh. I could push through two studs with my arm. The whole wall was rotted out. So then I had to pull that out and then that went into the bathroom. So then I had to pull apart <laughs> the bathroom to fix the wall. So then I renovated the bathroom and, and it's like it, it, it turned from a, a literally a light switch cover into renovating half the bloody house. It was just... Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so don't yeah. renovate. It's terrible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Too late. Yeah. All right. Anyway, 
So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about uh, is that I noticed I noticed your social media has changed quite a bit in the last in the last few years, and we talked about it a little bit in the pre-show about how you were starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed with with the burden because of the changes in social media revenues and stuff like that. Um, so could you kind of give me a, a story about what was your initial goal when you started I Like to Make Stuff? Were you, you obviously wanted to start a business and, and be independent, self-employed, all that jazz. But did you did you envision yourself as having the team of five or six people working for you? Or Not really. And honestly, I didn't even want it. I didn't start it to be a business. I started it. Um, well, so I was doing software development at the time and I had built a lot of things in the past over the years and done a lot of, you know, hands-on work, but I had just been doing software and I had young kids, infants. And so I started wanting to build some stuff with my hands again, kind of as a, I just need to get myself back, you know, kind of feeling in between the kids, in between work. So I started building this, uh, just some really simple furniture and I felt really guilty about it. Uh, and I shouldn't have, but I did. And so one of the ways that I was figuring like, well, if I'm going to spend this time, that's not work, it's not with my kids, it's kind of for me and I don't want to feel guilty about it. I should make it useful for other people. So I'm like, well, I'll just start writing blog posts about it. I'll take some pictures along the way and I'll do this. So that was terrible. That was so obnoxious to try to stop and take pictures. I did that a couple of times. Uh, and then I realized from my college days that I had like, and I, I had done YouTube stuff before, uh, with music. I used to do music on YouTube. So I had experience with editing and filming and stuff. And that was easier to me than taking photos along the way and writing about what I was doing. It was just to shoot video and cut it together. And so it really didn't start as a business. It started as like a, a way to kind of keep my sanity and just to have some time that I could focus on making some stuff for me. And, you know, content came out of that. And then I just, I enjoyed that so much and I got feedback from people and other people were enjoying it. I just started doing a lot more of it as a hobby and then eventually got to a point to where it was like, I basically have two full-time jobs. I got to decide what's, what's happening here. And, uh, and then my wife and I decided that I should do both of them full-time for a limited amount of time. And one of them would eventually get in the way. And so we kind of set a, I think it was six months. We're going to do, you know, and she knew that I was going to be kind of absent. I was going to be really busy, but it was a fixed amount of time to try to do both of these things to see which one had to go. And well before the end of that time, the software job had to go, even though it paid well, it was stable. It was easy for, I mean, not easy, but you know, it was like, it was, it was an easy job to do. Um, and so I, honestly, the business was kind of born out of that, out of, I'm just really enjoying this and I want to be able to do more of it. The way that I do more of it is to, make it make money and it made more money than the other job. So it just kind of, kind of worked out that way. But to the question about the team, I, I, my friend, Jonathan Forby uh, has been my friend for a very, very long time. And he was there at the beginning of, I like to make stuff. He made the logo. Um, and so I always kind of like had him in mind as, you know, somebody who would continue to work with me. He edited every, 
every video, but every other video or something for years. And I kind of started doing the intros to the, the videos as if I was a company more than just me with, cause I used to say, I don't always do it now, but I used to say, Hey, I'm Bob at, I like to make stuff being at the company. I like to make stuff leaving room for in case anybody else ever wanted to come along and be a part of the company, they could be so-and-so at, I like to make stuff. Not knowing if that would ever actually happen or not, but it was just like, I won't have to change it, you know? <laughs> so that's kind of, well, I remember it, at one point, Oh, be a few years ago now there was the great internet debate is it bob at i like to make stuff or is it bob i like to make and i like to make stuff and, or whatever yeah, right? or and. yeah we had team and and team at for a while and uh and they're both true so you know it worked out just fine yeah i think kind of going back to w- where you started there one of the reasons that i named this podcast workshop therapy is because i, I mean partially because I'm kind of hoping to turn this into um, obviously getting a clinical psychology degree. That's where I'm heading. Sure. But uh, but there's also uh, an aspect of it where, where you said that you're doing this job and you wanted to get out into the shop to kind of get back to yourself and reclaim yourself, right? And and you felt guilty about it when when in reality people can't, you, you can't lift somebody up if you're below them. You know, it, it's it's the whole put on your mask first before you try to save somebody else because you're going to, mm-hmm. there is there is a certain aspect of, I, th- I think there's a lot of pressure on a lot of people that, that do stuff in the shop is to, oh, I got to make my shop make money to justify the time in the shop or or I have to do some content to 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 make me myself feel like, I'm I'm being productive and not just wasting time when in actual fact sometimes people need to just go out to their shop or to their art studio or or whatever their thing is that brings them that peace of mind and just do your thing and 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 be okay with that because that means you're going to come back into your house or to your place of work whatever it is and you're going to be that much more productive at home or at work or whatever right yeah, I I mean since that time in my life I have learned what what you're saying that <clears throat> I'm the best husband when I have time away from my wife. Not a lot of time, but you know, I have time away to make sure that I am good. I'm the best father when I have time away from my kids to make sure that I'm okay. Same with work. And that was really hard. And I think, you know, anybody with young kids probably has that pressure of like, well, I don't want to just run off and leave my spouse with like these screaming little monsters. Like, I, you know, I need to help. And the, you're right. The truth is I would be better help if I was uh, taking care of the stuff that I needed to. And likewise for her, you know, she had to, she, she, my wife um, played roller derby and it spent it took a lot of time and she was really dedicated to it but it was a thing that around that same time in our life it she felt guilty about it a lot but it was her time to leave all of us at home and go do a thing that was community and it was physical and it was you know she loved it and she would come back better than she left and yeah so we both had our our or time there and we, you still have to do that i mean we still do that now it's just easier with teenagers you know because they don't care about it as much 
<laughs> and you want to get away from them anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's the kind of the funny thing about being a parent and, and, uh, here's something I actually learned recently. Did you know the word parenting wasn't a thing until like the 1970s? Like the word parenting didn't exist 50 years ago. Huh. And, and, and so there's this, um, there's this thing that, that I, I mean, our generation, you're, you're, you're a lot older than me. <laughs> <laughs> you're a couple years older than me, but, but we're the same generation. Basically our generation is really the first generation where we have become parents and we're parenting, not just, hmm. not just, um, having kids, you know, like, you know, there's this, the, the eighties, right. Everybody ran around on their BMXs without helmets and, you know, we all broke our legs and we're all here to show for it, except the kids that died, but we don't talk about them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, right. but then that, that follows through into this, we're the generation now that we're actually the first generation, maybe not the first generation, but the first large scale amount of a generation that is attempting to really parent our children and really trying to raise them. Hmm. And, uh, and, and it's funny that there's, there's this, I'm fairly certain that you felt, if you're anything like me, you felt guilty about when you went out into your shop for your, your me time, but you 100%, or at least I, most of the time, hundred percent, when I see my wife needs time, I says, yeah, no, it's fine. Go, go take sure. your time. You need some time, yeah. but, but you, but you don't have that same grace for yourself. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I definitely would see that. <clears throat> so as, um, as you started developing your business and I saw, I, I, I've been following for a long time. So I saw you grow into this, you know, empire the i like to make stuff empire that you had but then like we talked about in the pre-show you you kind of you kind of hit a point where algorithms or ad revenue whatever the thing changed but it changed for you and it kind of changed your business um and and that that changed your priorities a bit didn't do you mind do you mind sharing a little bit about that yeah i mean i you know that that was it was a weird intersection of um, ad revenue changing and and like short form video getting super popular and a, a bunch of different things in like my industry. And then at the same time, I was you know turning forty five. I was surrounded by kids who are becoming teenagers and kids who are about to become teenagers, and I see you know, between an 11 and a 16 year old, there's a huge developmental range there in that small range of, of life. And so seeing all of that and just, at, there was a confluence of all these different things hit me kind of at the same time. And I made a bunch of changes, changed that we downscaled the team. But then along with that, I, I started deciding or trying, and I'm still deciding, started trying to decide what in my life right now do I actually want? <laughs> you know, cause you, it's, it's like furniture. You just like accumulate stuff as you move from house to house. And then eventually you have a bunch of tables you don't have anything to do with and like extra chairs and stuff. And so I was 
kind of at a point where I just started deci- trying to decide what do I actually want to keep. And uh, I, I didn't want to lose the team as co-workers because they're my friends, but it was the best thing for me. But then I also, because of that, was able to say, I don't actually want to make four videos a month. It's a lot of work. And it's tiring trying to always come up with ideas. And I feel like my ideas are not very good because I have to do so many of them and, you know, stuff like that. So cut down to two videos a month. And that has, and I would love to go to one, to be honest, but um, moving down to, to two videos a month was one of those choices I was able to make. And it has been very good in a lot of different ways. Along with that, it's opened up um, me for the first time in several years being able to decide what my days are actually like. When you have employees, when you have people waiting on you to think of a thing or shoot a thing or deliver some footage, or there is no time that even though you're self-employed, it feels like you should be able to control your day, but you're just beholden to a different group of people. And not by any fault of theirs. It's just the way it, it is. And so now, for the first time in many years, I get to decide, you know, I want to go for a run this morning rather than be at my desk at nine o'clock to try to come up with some idea. Or I want to take this day and not actually do anything. And that's okay. You know, th- this is a lot of stuff that I'm confronting for the first time and trying to figure out if this is how I want my life to be. Um, and I'm finding that, you know, some of the stuff I'm trying is not really me. I, I am built a certain way. I am built to think in a certain, at a certain pace and be a certain amount of productive. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm figuring that stuff out, but it's, I think I'm still in a, a season of that kind of try and try and see, you know, in a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with Greg McEwen at all? I don't believe so. He he has a a fair fairly large podcast. Um, if if you're interested in kind of like the uh, he he wrote a book called Effortless. You might have heard of that. It was a New York Times bestseller a few years ago. Um, he's basically he talks a lot about kind of the power of saying no and and doing mm. more with less that type of stuff. And one of the things he kind of emphasizes is. If you say yes to everything, you end up focusing on on nothing, right? Whereas if you learn how to say no to to less important things and only say yes to to the one percent of what's actually important or what you're actually good at, then you can actually be more productive because you can be more focused and you can be more. Um, happy with what you're with what you're doing and that's where sounds like what you're doing with your life is you're turning that into hey i want to go for a run in the morning and and that i'm sure that probably clears your mind a little bit right versus sitting at your Mm -hmm. desk like when you're when you're pushing to come up with an night well what's what's the video we got to do this week you don't you don't come up with you know what would be really cool putting hydraulics in my carmen gia <laughs> um you, you know turn turn it, it in some like whatever you know you don't come up with like a really yeah. well that'd be a really cool idea you come up with the oh crap i gotta get something up let's cut up that box and turn it into a robot with the kids ah right like not that yeah. that's not yeah. content but it's not 
wow, that's an amazing idea. Yeah. And that has, is one thing that I really ran into was just not having time to, to come up with ideas that excited me. And if I did, it was like, what? I'll never have time to do that. Like there's, yeah, it'd be super cool to make a, a Wally. Like, when am I ever going to do that? You know, this is like, it would take years to do. And I did it with R2-D2, but I spread it out over multiple years. But having just a little bit of margin in my life and being able to decide where to put that margin has given me time to think about. This would be really cool. It would be really cool to finally build my wife a pottery studio. And I don't know how to do that. But now I've got a couple of days where I can start to research how to do that. You know, whereas before it was like, That'd be a cool idea that I will never, ever do because it takes more than a week, you know, and I just can't do that. Um, I I read a book twice last year, and I'm about to start going through it again. It's called Becoming a King, and it the name's a bit of a misnomer, I think, Um, but it's all about it's it's a it's a faith based book, and it's all about becoming the type of man that can be entrusted with a lot. So it's not about getting a lot of stuff. It's about being a good steward. It's about being a good manager of what you have. And, you know, he gives some business business examples of that a little bit, but mostly it's about the people that he put that are in your life. How can you manage those people? How can you encourage those people and create an environment where they are the best versions of themselves because of what you are offering to them? And man, this book just knocked my feet out from under me. And I don't say that about many books, but it it was so good and so poignant to me that I finished it and I immediately started it again and I went back through it. And I bought like six copies of it and I have a stack of them right there. And actually, that's the second stack because every time I talk to another guy that is about in the same place of life and I'm like, you need to read this book. Like you don't have to believe it all. You don't have to go with everything, but just read it because the perspective, a lot of it is about doing less. The reason I'm connecting this to, the, to that book is there's a big section in it about doing fewer things, not, not trying less, not about doing a worse job at things, but just deciding what you need to do and what you don't need to do. And it boils all the stuff that we're talking about down into a very simple we don't need to do as much stuff as we do. We can do fewer things better. And so, you know, that's been one of my big kind of calls to action for myself in this last few months is like, I want to do less <laughs> and I want to do it better, but I don't want to do less. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to look up that book. Maybe I'll link it in the show notes here for people, because yeah. if there's a book, I, I, I read a lot. I, well, I used to read a lot. Um <laughs> come back and forth into it. Um, I'm trying to read more again, but uh, books are it, lots of information. Every, everything's available on the internet. Right. Right. But, but we can, but because everything's available, there's also a lot of things that are on the internet that are maybe not as useful. Not mm. to say that anybody ever puts anything on the internet. That's untrue because I would never judge anybody that way. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but there's something about a book that has to go through a vetting process. And so I think there's a there's more distilled knowledge in reading text from a printed book than just finding it on the internet. 
Um, but anyway, so when I hear somebody who's read a book multiple times and then also buys books and gives them away to people, yeah, I think that speaks volumes to what that book, that book means. Um, so I'm definitely going to look it up, but it kind of reminded me of, uh, um, like we talked a little bit about faith in the, in the pre-show in, in my own faith tradition, uh, we talk about about leadership. I think the the world at large has a has a a warped perception of what leadership really is. Mm. Uh, leadership kind of generally is perceived as I stand in the front and I tell you what to do, and then you go do it. Um, whereas. A, a true leader is somebody like you said that who builds up the people he is leading. He's not he's not somebody who is who is commanding them. He is somebody who is serving them. Right. And the reason he is the leader is because he is the one who takes responsibility for the mistakes. That's and, exactly how I would describe leadership. That's how I have described it. Yes, I'm totally on board with that. Yeah, and and that's um. I think that's a really important thing to do because, because number one, it, it gives you a different perspective on what you're doing. It's not about taking advantage of other people. It's about, it's about developing other people. And, and, and like, as a, as a father, I'm sure, I'm sure you don't look at your children as competition, right? <laughs> like you're right. looking at your kids as a, as a, I want them to be, able to do whatever they want to do. And I want them to be as skilled as possible. And I want to support them in their dreams. Right. Yeah. And hopefully they do more than, hopefully they do more than you. Right. But yeah, there's a, there's an interesting saying in this book. Um, he talks about leadership and he's somebody told him, John Eldridge or somebody told him one time that he should always take the lowest seat at the table. And it was in context of business, but it, you know, he's talking about it in a little bit broader sense, but he was saying basically take the lowest seat at the table when it comes to leadership or anything until you absolutely cannot do that anymore. Because we, we often get at the wrong idea of leadership or of, of even like promotion within our life and think, well, I'm going to do the bare minimum I have to do until I'm ready to step up to the next thing. But he really turned it on its head and said, you know, like, don't don't take on anymore. Don't try to be more. Just do the thing that you do. Serve up. Serve up to people until you absolutely cannot avoid promotion or, or leadership or, you know, whatever that kind of step up thing, which has been a really good exercise for me in in like combating pride. Even with my kids, you know, as the parent, as the dad specifically, I've always had this this pride thing of like, you know, you, you can't talk to back to me. I'm the dad. Like I have some sort of a level up here that like, you know, that's not okay. And when I start to think about my position as not an over position, but an under support position, then my pride doesn't get as hurt when they talk back. It's still bad manners. I don't want to encourage that stuff. But 
but my pride is not the thing that is, you know, is coming up there when I realize that like I'm I'm supporting them up. I'm trying to train them to be a good replacement for me in the world. And in our case, we have four kids and there's two of us. So we are doubling our footprint on the world. Yeah. So they better be a positive footprint on the world. <laughs> Otherwise, we are doing everybody else a disservice. You know what I mean? So um, that quote uh, had a big impact on me. But. Yeah, my uh, my son recently got a, a diagnosis of autism. And uh, I mean, he, he's he's really high functioning. So it's not like he, you know, it doesn't come as a surprise, but he's also not the the oh look at that kid he's got a disability visually gotcha. right but one of the things that comes along with that is uh he has very few filters and he's a he's a good kid like he's not rude and he's not mean or anything like that but i've noticed in my head it's been easier to uh go going back to the i'm the dad you do what i say sort of situation he just calls it well that's that's not what you do mm. <laughs> and and before I'd be like, "Shut up, do what I say right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh but now it's like you know he's right mm. as a as a parent um another podcast I listen to uh fairly frequently is a is a guy called Justin Colson out of Australia called the Happy Families podcast, and for anybody who has kids. That's a fantastic, fantastic podcast to listen to. Anybody who's in a relationship, it's a good podcast to listen to. Uh, but anyway, one of the things that that he talks about is is um, being a parent. The parent learns more than the kids do. You know, like. You said your oldest is 16. I bet you you've never raised a 16-year-old before. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know you know nothing about it until you've right. done it. And then and then even though you've raised a 16-year-old, that next kid when he turns 16 years old, he's going to be a completely different kid and you're going to learn some more about that too. And I think we yeah. can either choose to learn from those experiences or we can let them overwhelm us and overcome us and be bitter and angry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I found myself several times going through that same feeling. Like, and my wife and I have both even said to our kids, like, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> We've never done this before. But I also have a great set of parents who have spoken into our lives from their perspective of dealing with me. And that's been really cool because I it now gives me like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing right now, like you're saying. But when my kids have kids. I will have my experiences to be able to share with them, you know, in the same way that my parents share with us. And so it is kind of a weird thing, but yeah, it's, it's encouraging, I guess, to know that I'll be able to help eventually, just not with my kids. <laughs> yeah. My, my, uh, my dad, when my son was born, so I'm the youngest and I have a bunch of older siblings. I'm quite a bit younger than my other siblings. And so like I was an uncle when I was four. Oh, wow. But, uh, yeah, so I've I've I have lots of experience with raising kids and not being a parent. <laughs> but gotcha. uh, anyway, <laughs> when when my son was born, my dad he told me he's like, "Welcome to being 
the smartest man in the entire world for the next six to eight years, then you're beginning, then you're going to become the dumbest person on the face of the planet. And then you'll come back to average intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. It's like, yeah. But yeah. One, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, uh, going back to, to the, the transition phase that your, your life and business business life is. And at this point, you said in the pre-show, you said that the hardest year of your life was that year where everything seemed like it was heading south and, and you were keeping it to yourself and you were kind of trying to bear that burden to yourself. Uh, what, what made you think that you had to do it yourself? Um, That's hard. I think, I think it was a misunderstanding of my responsibility to the people that I worked with. I think because they were friends of mine, because a couple of them moved, actually three of them moved to town to take the job to work with me. They moved their families. Um, they trusted in me to give them salary give them creative work to do give them something that was going to be meaningful to them and i took all of that feeling and all that responsibility to them individually and their family's welfare and you know it just like extrapolated out to like well yeah but they're relying on me and their family and their family's future and their you know it's just like all this stuff and I, i put all that on myself and I'm like, as soon as I start to let everybody know that there's a problem happening here that I can't fix, I, d- I just don't know how to fix it yet, but I'm going to get there. As soon as I let that know, then then I'm going to be letting them down. Just I'm going to let a whole bunch of people down in a moment. And that is something that I really, really don't like doing. I don't like letting people down. I want to create stability for my family and and my wife and I realize now for the people that I work with I wanted to be able to offer stability and to be able you know to have to tell them like it's not stable anymore I just felt like I was letting everybody down and so I was trying to avoid that as long as possible over that year because I was trying to find a solution so that I wouldn't have to let everybody down you know so I think that's why yeah and then when you finally did tell them, I'm sure everybody cried and nobody talks to you anymore and everybody hates you, right? <laughs> yes, that's exactly not what happened. Yeah, it, you know, it went, it was hard. It was super hard to have those conversations with those people, but they, every single one of them have been 100% gracious with me and grateful for the time that we got to work together and grateful for what the job did in their life. and. <clears throat> nothing negative has come out of it R- relationally. Nothing negative has come out of it at all. And, you know, like I knew that would be the case, but it's still scary, you know? Um, yeah. And, and talking to a couple of close friends of mine when I was really in the thick of it, just like wrestling with, I, I don't have any other options. I have to talk to them about this stuff now. Um, a couple of friends were like, you know, they are all intelligent and capable and you hired them because of who they are which means they will be able to find new jobs 
they're adults. They make their own choices. They, you know, all this, like, you're not responsible. You're not responsible, this whole thing. And I even talked to a guy that I just met, um, but I talked to him through a friend because he had been down that same path as I was headed down. And he took out a bunch of loans to be able to pay salaries that he couldn't afford to pay. And he lost his home and he lost all this. His life got exponentially worse to try to do the same thing that I was trying to do. And when those people left, they all went and got new jobs. But he was stuck with regret and debt, (laughs) you know. And so he was just telling me, like, they're adults. They they make choices. They have skills. They're going to be fine. And having somebody in that particular situation say that to me, I think was a pretty big. It was still hard, but it was a it was a relief for me knowing that I I was letting go of some of the responsibility I felt like I had to. Yeah, you suddenly realize that. Oh, yeah, you're. I'm. You're right. They will go get jobs. Just because you had to let them go doesn't mean that they're going to go live under a bridge and become math addicts. Yeah, yeah. And none of them did, but, so I was really happy about that. <laughs> that that you know of. That anyway. I'm aware of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all this is to kind of lead to the question about community building and community support. One of the things that... Um, I think in all the people I've talked to and in myself, especially, and maybe I'm just projecting this on everybody else, but I think we, as people who make things and are capable of making things, we get into this mindset of, I can do it. Therefore I should be the one to do it. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and we forget that, uh, we we forget that other people are standing there watching us and some of them really would love to, Hey, I can do that. And I would love to help you do that. Does that, if you were to, if you were to think back over the last couple of years here, do you think there is an opportunity for people who are, who are maybe in that situation right now to, to look around and say, Hey, Maybe I should ask for help. Do yes. you think that that would have been something that would have made a difference for you? Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think my worry got in the way of me thinking that that was realistic to find somebody to help me just manage it all. Or, you know, I hired those people because I needed help because it was there were too many things to do, and I was willing to hand off some of those responsibilities to those people. But then those responsibilities got replaced with more different responsibilities, you know, and as the person who owns the thing, the person who pays the bills, I felt like all of that kind of had to stop with me and I didn't know who could come in and help with those things. But the fact of the matter is there are people who their whole job is to come run that stuff. You know, like I could have had a CEO to run the company so that I didn't have to, so I could be creative. I didn't even think of that. I didn't think of that as an option, but I think, um, Yes, as makers, we, that's a good way to say it. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. And I think that's one of the things that, like, even with social media, just because I can have a TikTok channel doesn't mean that I need to put effort at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because I can 
live stream and do shorts and do this and do that and do that and make my own thumbnails and make my own video edits. And just because I can, technically, doesn't mean I should. And it doesn't mean I'm the best person to do that work. So part of my realizations have been around trying to decide where where I work best, where I am most effective, and then decide where I'm not and try to find contractors or people uh, without the same level of responsibility, find people to be able to do that work um, to kind of fill the gaps. One time, and I don't remember who said this. I wish I did. One time I heard a talk and the guy was talking about his business and he was saying that, you know, eventually when you're starting your own business, eventually you're going to get to a point to where you have too much to do and you're overwhelmed and you don't know how to let go of any of it. And his recommendation was you make three lists. You make a list about the things that you do every day that you individually are the only person that can do those things. The stuff that nobody else could do the same way. Then you make a list of the stuff that you have to do because you're the only one around. But, you know, it'd be nice if you didn't have to. And then you make a list of the stuff that you are bad at. Things that have to get done. But if you do them, you're going to do a poor job at them. Those are pretty distinct lists, you know. And he was saying, basically, as you go to hire people, you start in the last list and you find people to do those jobs. And then once those are covered, like for me, that would be like accounting. Like I would (laughs) burn myself down if I did my own accounting. But I can find somebody to do that for me. And then you just move through those lists and eventually you delegate all the tasks out to people who are good at those things. And it leaves you with less to do and the things that you do you were made to do, you know, and like, that's a really hard thing to practically do, but it is, I think it's good advice. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those, one of those things you have to weigh the, the cost benefit analysis type of stuff, right? Uh, you, you do yeah. this. Yeah, I could do that, but the other person could do it three times as fast as me. So then I can, I can then spend those three hours making money to pay them or alternatively, just understanding that, you know what, maybe I don't need to make those extra three hours worth of money. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the other thing that I get trapped into is like, I can do a certain amount of work in, in, in a day. And even if I can do it to the same level of quality as somebody, I can pay it to some somebody else to do it. What's more valuable to me is yeah. is is my time with my children worth more to me than saving fifty bucks or a hundred bucks or even a thousand bucks? You know, like if you, if you have your uh, you're looking glass at the future there and you're 96 years old looking back on the on your time are you ever going to say well i wish i spent more time at the office i don't think so yeah. right <laughs> yeah while you were talking about that uh, a, a book that i read a long time ago and i've read a few times you ever read the the richest man in babylon no it was one of the one of the first kind of true self help how to get rich type of books. Uh, but in it, he talks about, he has this, this character who's the the richest man in Babylon. And uh, he talks about setting goals 
and he, he talks about if I if I make a goal to drop a stone in in the river as I cross over the bridge every single day, and I forget one day, I'm not going to throw in two rocks tomorrow. I'm going to go back and throw in the rock today because that was the goal. But that's why it's important to not set goals that serve no purpose. And hmm. so kind of what you were talking about there, it, it, or when you were talking, I thought about that as a, we all have these like lists of tasks to do, you know, and somebody else may be better at it because I'm terrible. And there's certain, of like, like accounting, that is, especially if you're self-employed, that is something you have to do. Right. Uh, and, you know, at gunpoint, essentially, because if it isn't, if you don't pay your taxes, see what happens, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. But but there are lots of tasks that we have to do that we don't really have to do. Like there there are so many things that we pay for that are really first world luxuries, not necessities. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think even like uh, the the social media pressures if you're a person who makes things and you happen to be on social media and you share those with other people there is this kind of like assumption that you also have to you have to make reels to show off to this group of people and you have to make shorts to show off to this group of people or you have to be able to make a certain you have to have a certain persona or a certain amount of like bubbliness or whatever you know you have to perform on social media just because that's what everybody does when they make things. It's part of my job. It's not part of me. It's a thing that I have to do because I recognize its place in my business. But if it didn't have a place in my business, I would I would decide that that is not a thing that I am made to do. And I think if it's not your business, I'm, I'm being like absolutely serious. I would not be on social media if it wasn't part of my business. But I think if it's not your business, then I would encourage people to actively decide whether that amount of effort and that amount of exposure and outward output is what they actually want. Because I'm not sure that it is. I think it's just an expectation, you know, that we all kind of put on ourselves now. But Yeah, because if it doesn't, if it's not on social media, it didn't happen. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. So, so here's a, here's a question then this, and you may not want to answer this. And if you don't want to answer this, that's totally cool. Mm-hmm. If you were to tell how, how, how long have you had, I like to make stuff on YouTube now. About 10 years. 10 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's what I was kind of guessing at. Um, if you were to tell, I like to make stuff, Bob of, 11 years ago would you tell him to go down the path that you went down oh gosh hmm i think i would yeah i mean if i don't have any if if it's just a yes no that would be tough if it's yes with here's some advice like i would love to do that <laughs> but but i think i would because i honestly my life over that 10 years has gone in a direction and I've gotten to do things and learn things that I just never even dreamed that I would, you know, 
And I, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to deprive myself, <laughs> my future self of those of experiences and stuff. Um, I would just want to equip myself a little bit better to, you know, have a better perspective on the amount of stuff and, and like saying no, going back to that. Like I would, I would encourage myself to say no to more things. So, but I've gotten to do some really yeah. cool things and meet some really cool people. So, <laughs> and and that's the, I think that's the thing is like myself, I've lived, this house is our eighth house. My wife, my wife wow. and I've been married for 17 years. This is our eighth house. Uh, it's it's going on the market on Saturday, so we're oh, wow. we're heading we're we're heading out on a new adventure to build. We're going to build a house. Wow. Um. And and there's definitely things just like you like looking back. I would there's there's decisions that I would tell myself, don't do that. Do this instead. But then when I stop and think about it, I also think I wouldn't be where I am right now and had the experiences that I that I've had and the people that I've met and known if I didn't go the route that I went. Yeah, but I think, I think some, even some of those hard choices to, you know, the certain paths that you take, some of those hard ones still lead to good things and they still lead to experiences that you wouldn't want to lose, you know. Yeah, have you do, you do you like hiking at all? I do. Yeah. Uh I don't know if you've ever been out west at all, but um in uh you ever, you ever heard of Banff National Park, Jasper National yeah, Park? Yeah, I've heard of it. It looks beautiful, but it's fantastic. Um if you ever come out to if you ever come out to Alberta, let me know and I'll I'll give you a tour. <laughs> but uh Banff Banff is a fantastic park. But Jasper National Park, nobody goes there, and it's better. Oh, um, okay. But there's there's this there's there's one spot. Um, there's a there's a sky tram that goes up to this big scenic outlook on the on the top, right? And and it's you take the sky tram up, and it's pretty cool. Like you can see a lot. You see down this one big valley, and it's see all these massive big rocky mountains around you and and it's pretty cool but up there they have this map that shows you where everybody stops basically right and 90 percent of the people just ride the sky tram up and they go up to the chalet and they look out over the observation points but then there's a about about a half a mile maybe it's, it's, yeah, it'd be a half mile. It's 800 meters. So it's bang on a half mile to the actual peak of the mountain. And, and it's, it's a pretty steep climb. Like it's not a, it's not wheelchair friendly, shall, gotcha. shall we say. So it's a, it's a steep climb up there. And, and only about 10% of the people who come up the sky tram actually climb to the peak. And it's, a much more fantastic view. You you see down the same stuff you can see from the chalet, and then there's a second valley that goes to the south, 
that you can see down and you can almost see the Columbia ice fields down in there. So you see big, massive glaciers, the whole nine yards, right? Wow. And then there's another trail that's about a mile long that goes down, down from that peak and then over and up a secondary peak. And, and 10% of the people who make it to the main peak go to the end of this. So that's 1% of everybody who goes up the mountain, if that, go out to the secondary peak. And if you take the effort to go all the way to that point, you get the most fantastic view you've ever seen in your life. You go mm. down, you see everything that you can see before, and then you see down into a whole nother set of valleys and a whole nother set of mountain ranges coming out there, right? And And it's just... The more effort that you're willing to put into your life, the more reward you get out of it, right? But consequently, the more challenge that you confront and overcome, the higher you the higher you get and the more you see and the more you do. And so that's where, like, for me, like I said, I would definitely give my younger self some advice. But then part of me would hope that He'd make the same stupid mistakes I did. That way, yeah, he'd, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, I've taken a lot of your time, and I really do appreciate you coming on. But do you have any uh, parting words of wisdom that you care to share with everybody? Oh man, um, doesn't have to be profound. Yeah, although well, if it is, it's more helpful. I like to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. I think my advice to my friends right now, um, you know, I've got some some friends who are young parents, and my advice to them is to take the time to decide how you want your life to actually be, and don't feel like you have to do everything, because I think you know realization of how quickly things pass, especially kids, how quickly that stuff is gone and you don't get it back, has become real to me. And so I want to encourage people to just like, don't feel like you have to do everything. Just do the stuff that you need to do. So that's my advice. That is fantastic advice. Well, thank you for coming on again. Um, Of course. I can pretty, normally I have people say, hey, where do we find you on the social media and that type of stuff? But I can pretty much guarantee that if they're listening to this podcast, they probably know where you are, but go ahead and tell us where to find you. Everything is at I like to make stuff.com. You can get to YouTube, to social media store, all that stuff is there. So everything's there. So thank you for coming on again, Bob. And uh, we'll head over to the after show here for a couple minutes and then, and then we'll let you go. Sounds good. I appreciate it.